0: Happy Thursday afternoon. The time four thirty nine. Thanks for listening here to NL Newsday. The BC legislative session came to an end today after three weeks. MLAs now will have next week off before resuming work on May the tenth. So to take a little bit of a look back on some of the discussions we've seen over the past number of days, and pleased to welcome back to the program the leader of the BC Green Party and MLA for Cowichan Valley, Sonia. First to Sonia, how are you here this afternoon?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks so much for coming back on. Always love having you on the show. Uh, I think the first thing I wanted to talk a little bit about here today is this whole conversation that's going on around paid sick leave. Uh, You know, there's been a very popular conversation. I know the premier was asked a whole bunch of questions about it earlier this week when he was made available to the media. What were you hearing today or in the last number of days in regards to a paid sick leave? Is the government moving forward on this anytime soon?
1: Well, that's what the premier said yesterday in question period is that they are moving forward with it and, you know, we can expect to see something from them. But it it fits into a a larger pattern um, with this government in general, which is a very kind of reactive approach to so many issues. So, you know, COVID came into our lives with quite a vengeance uh, over a year ago, last March. Um, And one of the messages that we heard over and over again from health officers and experts was, if you're sick, stay home. And here we are. It's almost May 2021. And uh, we're only now hearing that uh, the the provincial government is looking at a plan for paid sick leave. And uh, it's just, (laughs) it is this larger pattern of like, wait until things are really uh, kind of you can't ignore them any longer and then finally do something.
0: I mean, this has been a topic of conversation, like you mentioned, for over a year. And I guess it Mm -hmm. was kind of always deferred, like, oh, the federal government needs to work on this. This has to come from them. And then... It finally took until now before, basically, I guess they sat, had enough and said, or they've heard enough from from people like yourself and opposition parties, basically saying, what is going on? People are having this difficult decision to make. If I have a itchy throat, do I go to work because I'm not supposed to, but I need to go collect that paycheck, and I'm not just going to sit at home and and have a sore throat if that's all it is. I mean, h- how much, how frustrating has it been to sort of watch this process pretty much sit stagnant for the last 12 plus months?
1: I, it's been frustrating, this and many other fronts. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about um, how how I would love to see things unfold on on this front, on COVID, on how we respond to all sorts of issues. We have the opioid crisis, the overdose crisis, which we found out today took so many more lives, and the inequality. And And I think what we need is to start with a kind of an outcome that we're trying to achieve. So if, if the outcome we're trying to achieve is that people stay home when they're sick and uh, it's not a, a consequence that they have to suffer in terms of not being able to pay their bills, if that's the outcome we want is that people are supported to stay home, then you direct your staff to make policy based on data and evidence Uh, and you can look at policies in other jurisdictions that work, and you tell them, get us to this outcome. Get us the policy that gets us to this outcome. Um, We don't have that kind of model, it seems, being applied widely in how this government is approaching so many issues. If we look at the the deaths from the toxic drug supply, if the outcome that we want is that people stop dying, we know that the evidence-based policy is to ensure that there is a regulated safe supply Uh, that's how we get to that outcome and and i think that that's you know i i want to just please ask this government start being clear about where we're trying to get to what are the outcomes we're trying to achieve uh, where are we going as a province and then and then show us how you plan to get us there based on your policies that are that come from evidence and data.
0: Now, uh, kind of building on, on all of those topics that you've sort of brought forward, I mean, the BC budget was passed today, uh, mm-hmm. voted in favor of it. Um, were you feeling, like, I want to look at that overdose crisis mm-hmm. specifically, actually. Do you feel like there's enough happening within this budget? I mean, it's been a really... Difficult conversation that we've been having for the last year since this pandemic began right the overdose crisis the opioid situation in BC has continually gotten worse. We knew things were improving a little bit, right, in, in 2019 before the pandemic came along. And I don't know if that was a result of, uh, you know, necessarily people ODing less. It was more just they were surviving overdoses more, which, you know, is, is something to be uh, applauded, I suppose, that we're saving lives. But it doesn't feel like really much has been done to tackle this issue in the last 12 months, despite the fact that the conversation has seemingly gotten a lot louder around it as more and more people are losing their lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I With the budget vis-a-vis this toxic drug supply and and this opioid crisis, there is a a significant investment in mental health. I applaud that. However, um, what's missing from the budget is any mention of regulated safe supply. Uh, And what's also missing is, again, a sense of, how are we going to create a systemic change that ensures that everybody in BC has access to mental health care when they need it? Um, because we know that so much of of the the bigger landscape here is about um, you know untreated mental health issues, about stigma around mental health and addictions, uh, about Lack of basic needs for people, lack of housing, lack of supports. There's there's a lot <laughs> that needs to go into this, but it, it comes down to if our goal right now is to reduce the number of deaths that are happening, and and that number is is creeping up to six a day right now. It's somewhere between five and six people a day are dying from a toxic drug supply in in BC right now, then. What the evidence tells us, what the experts tell us is you absolutely need to ensure that there's a regulated safe supply.
0: I did see a little bit of discussion happening here this week in regards to the speculation and vacancy tax. I know this isn't something that really impacts us here in Kamloops, but there was a lot of concern from small business owners throughout the province who are impacted by this, this air tax, if you will, uh, tax above their buildings where it could be used as space for, you know, apartments or condos somehow that's taxable which makes zero sense to me Mm -hmm. but it did sound from everything i understand finance minister selena robinson saying that it's going to waive uh one year of that tax is that something that has been on your radar at all as an issue And, and were you pleased to at least see some some business owners getting a little bit of a break based on what minister robinson had to say today
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's important that this gets resolved and 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 it comes back to the outcomes. Obviously, the outcome of the speculation and vacancy tax shouldn't be that it puts an undue and unnecessary burden on small business owners for space that doesn't exist. I mean, that's you know that's definitely not an outcome we want in this province. And particularly right now, uh, small small and medium business owners need as much support as we can offer. Uh, We want them to survive. They're so crucial and critical to our communities, to the kind of vibrancy and life of our communities. And uh, so I'm heartened that, you know, she's made these comments, but I think, you know, you definitely want to solve the yeah. bigger issue here and fix the policy.
0: Yeah, basically this is sort of a, a temporary solution for now, but that's not going to help in, in one year's time when we might be seeing these taxes be having to be paid again, right?
1: Yeah, and and, and it, so... You have a year to fix the to fix it, so i'm I'm very hopeful that they can do that, well, get that fixed.
0: Yeah, I hope so as well. Again, not a huge issue here in in Kamloops, but I know a significant issue for a lot of business owners who, of course, need to stay in business and get through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there There was some conversation from yourself in regards to rapid testing. what mm-hmm. um, what were you bringing up in the legislature in regards to this issue? What uh, concerns, I guess, do you have in terms of rapid testing and and the lack of it that's really taking place in British Columbia?
1: Yeah, so the federal government provided 2.7 million rapid tests to British Columbia. They provided rapid tests to uh, provinces across the country. And here in BC, we've used about 1% of those tests uh, since getting them last year. And it's, uh, it's a bit surprising that we aren't literally using every tool in the toolbox when it comes to uh, COVID-19, given what we're seeing in terms of hospitalization rates, in terms of the numbers of cases per day, and in terms of, you know, the growing evidence around the implications of long COVID, particularly for younger people who contract this disease and maybe looking at, you know, not just months, but years or perhaps a lifetime of symptoms. Uh, The reality is we don't know a lot. I've been, Looking at uh, a lot of the reporting that's being done around long COVID, and in countries and jurisdictions where they are tracking uh, the data on long COVID, it's it's anywhere between 10 and 30 percent of people uh, end up with these long-term symptoms that can be quite debilitating in their lives. So, given you know the the immediate risks of COVID-19 as well as the longer-term risks. It is quite surprising to me that we aren't being more aggressive and proactive about testing. This is something that you look over at the other side of the country at Nova Scotia. They had, you know, less than 100 new cases, but they uh, they did 3,000 more tests in one day than we did here in BC. Uh, so they are being very aggressive about testing, about trying to find out where the virus is, and and really determined to get back down to the very, very low numbers that they've had since this pandemic began. And uh, I just remain surprised that we aren't taking the same approach to testing that we've seen in other jurisdictions that that keep their numbers down.
0: Yeah, I've been baffled by the lack of use of of the rapid test kits that we have in BC really since they started rolling in and they've just been basically sitting in a warehouse waiting for someone to pick them up and use them and there's been a lot of advocates out there saying you know, maybe they could be used in long-term care homes maybe they could be used (laughs) in schools and they just have gone unused despite the calls for that. Is that more of a matter of of government or is it a matter of, of public health and not directing the use of rapid tests? Is it a little bit of column A and column B? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit confused as to where the directive to not use rapid tests is actually coming from.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that, Jeff, and this is another another sort of bigger picture issue that is emerging around this government's response to COVID in, in particular is a kind of uh, unclear communication, unclear sense of of decision-making processes um, and, and how these decisions are being informed, what evidence is being used to inform these decisions. Uh, and again, what outcomes are we trying to achieve, right? And it seems to me the outcome that we should all be striving for, at the, our very top goal is to reduce the number of COVID-19 cases in BC, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to be able to do some sort of mental gymnastics to say that rapid tests wouldn't help with that, I, I I really can't understand the logic of it. Um and I I keep imploring this government uh to to recognize that good clear communication um with the public about decision making, about outcomes, about data isn't a nice to have. It is essential because you need to continuously build and maintain trust in this equation. It's not, you know, you're asking people to come along, to to get vaccinated, to take all the precautions that we need to be taking. But you also have to, the other side of that equation from government is provide that clarity, provide that understanding, provide the data, provide the decision-making processes so that we can all understand where we're going and how we're getting there together
0: sonia those were all the the topics that i had on my agenda here right now i know there's a whole lot of other things that went on in the ledge over the last number of weeks here so was there anything specific that you wanted to highlight that we haven't touched on here just yet
1: just one thing jeff and that's uh, in relationship to the budget that came out and yes you know we voted in favor of second reading of the budget today Uh, because it contains a lot of important spending for health care, for mental health, and a lot of important investments in things that really matter. What it doesn't have, and what we're we're, uh, disheartened not to see, is a lens, again, that gives us a sense of the vision that this government has. I was pretty honestly, very surprised to see that the word inequality wasn't mentioned once in the entire budget. Uh, COVID-19 has shown us in the most stark and sometimes the most tragic and devastating ways that inequality is dangerous for people's health and well-being and that it is something that we need to be committed to reducing in our province and in our country, not a mention of inequality, not once. And then the other part of the budget that I was quite surprised was just the lack of interest in, um, putting a climate change lens mm-hmm. on, on the, the spending. And so the reason why you need these kinds of lenses, okay, if we put a lens of, we are going to tackle these two big issues, climate change and inequality, if we're going to have a green recovery a just green recovery is that then you can look at how you're spending money, and you can measure: is it getting us towards these goals that we've stated? Is it is it moving us towards that shared vision? But this budget doesn't have a particular vision to it. It is a whole bunch of discrete uh, investments and, and spending packages. But there's no cohesion to what we're actually trying to achieve.
0: Sonia, thanks so much for the time. I always appreciate you coming on the show and, and having a, a nice discussion about what's going on in government and appreciate you addressing and raising those concerns that you have. And uh, we'll we'll talk about them more in the future, I'm sure, but we're up against the clock here. So thanks so much for this. Uh, we'll do it again.
1: Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you so much.
0: Thank, all right, there you go. There is Sonia first know She is the leader of the B.C. Green Party and, of course, MLA for Cowichan Valley as well. Always appreciate her taking the time to come on the program. Uh, the time, 455 Uh, We got your news coming up here in about four minutes time, so stay tuned for that. Colton Navies will fill you in on all the headlines that you need to be made aware of here on this Thursday, April the 29th. Uh, But lots of good stuff there from Sonia as